When I grow up, I want to be a contractor because I like building stuff. I want to be a YouTuber. When I grow up, I want to be an astronaut and travel to Mars. It's something I don't think a lot of people think twice about nowadays, but... Ray, can you imagine your life without online banking or ABMs? You mean waiting in lines to pay bills, withdraw cash? No, absolutely not. Yeah, me neither. But here, here's a fun fact. Guess when the first ABM was introduced in Canada? 1955. It was actually 1969. 50 years ago, CIBC launched the Instant Teller. And the Canadian Bankers Association says RBC launched its automated tellers in 1972. Guess what they were called? Tellers? Bankettes. That's pretty cool. Bankettes. So they've evolved. That's pretty cool. Along with new technologies disrupting the banking and financial services industries now. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome to WorkShift. JP Morgan Chase in the US. Um, they have a process where they're using machine learning to review loan applications. The, basically, it would take 360,000 hours of manpower um, to do the review of these loan applications where a machine could do them in seconds. Yay! Faster answers on loan applications. But again, I, I have to advocate. What about the people who are currently processing loan applications? Digital disruption. The gig economy. Artificial intelligence. Robots! There's a lot of talk about these things in the media and online, but what do they mean for you? I'm Sean McEwen. And I'm Ray Harapal. We're exploring the future of work and changes you can expect to see at your job. We'll tell you how this massive digital shift could change your career and what you can do to adapt, evolve, and thrive. Today, we're going to kick things off with certified financial planner and college professor, Tracy Britt. Tracy has more than 20 years of experience in the financial services industry as a financial planner and educator, including 10 years at a major Canadian bank. She's a certified financial planning professional and holds a BA Honours in Applied Economics from Queen's University and a Master's of Education from Nipissing University. She's also a full-time faculty member at George Brown College's Center for Business. We're also going to hear from tech executive Claudette McGowan. She holds a Bachelor of Arts from Lakehead University, an MBA from Athabasca University, and holds certifications in artificial intelligence, information technology, and project management. I decided to become a financial planner uh, because I loved helping people. And what I realized in that role fairly quickly was that I could help people through um, educating them about their finances, their money. So it was something that I could kind of get personal uh, gratification from, um, at the same time sort of also um, enjoying the business aspect of things. What do you love about your job? So from my time as a financial planner, I would say I loved helping people achieve their goals. So they want to go on a vacation in a year's time. They want to put their kids through school. They want to pay off their mortgage, whatever it is. I loved helping clients work towards achieving that goal. 
Uh, as a professor, it's pretty exciting to sort of create financial literacy within the younger generation and have them go on to hopefully experience the same satisfaction from them being able to pass on their knowledge and skills to uh, other Canadians. When Tracy was in university in the 90s, she was hired as a summer student by a major bank. Her role was customer access representative, diverting people from the line for the teller to the ABM. Not everyone was a fan of using the machine to do their banking. Tracy said customers didn't want the people working at the counter to lose their jobs. Then recently... Uh, I walked into my home branch and learned that there were no tellers in that branch at all. So that was an interesting experience because uh, starting out as a teller, uh, I certainly wouldn't have wanted to see anybody lose their job. So I actually asked. Uh, they had this big giant machine that was to replace all things that uh, a customer service representative could do. And uh, I said, well, where are the people? Because I had seen, again, the same kind of conversation that I had experienced 20 years ago. I was on the other side now asking what happened to the people. And it was explained to me that they were now more in advisory roles. They were going to be dealing with customers, but not in with regards to money, but with regards to helping them through other things. In saying that, not all of the branches in my area went to Tellerless. It was just one, and I think it was uh, the test branch. And uh, I, I can't imagine that they would take all of them that way. But if you've got two or three or four branches in a community, they probably don't need to have uh, service counters in every single branch. Uh, I think about when I started uh, in the industry, there was really online banking didn't exist. So uh, certainly here's an interesting section from a 2017 report called Financial Advice in Canada, A Way Forward. It was produced by the Ivy School of Business at the University of Western Ontario. Here's what it has to say. Innovation and technology are not new to financial services or financial advice. Given the complexity and the time-sensitive nature of most financial instruments, the industry has relied on technological innovation for growth and competitiveness for decades. What is new is the pace of innovation, driven by the power and diversity of the new technologies. Here's Tracy talking about some of the changes that have happened during the span of her career so far. Uh, called robo-advisors that have come into play uh, or algorithmic trading where um, these are basically machines or computer programs that are buying and selling securities on behalf of the individual. There's parameters that are set and they have to trade within those guidelines. So certainly that's a change. Um, we've seen the uh, introduction of cryptocurrencies. Um, we've seen a huge shift towards our financial institutions collecting big data. So in the last uh, two years, 90% of that data um, that exists today has been collected. And I imagine that that will continue to grow because that's how they're actually able to create the artificial intelligence uh, for some of the trading systems and so forth is to actually try and mimic what individuals or uh, companies have done in terms of their trading platforms. Claudette McGowan is the Chief Information Officer for Enterprise Technology Employee Experience at BMO. Here's Claudette's take on the importance of big data and the tools used to interpret that information. I think ultimately it's about speed. So if you're on the front lines or you're in one of those roles across the bank, it's how fast we're able to deliver um, how, able, how we're able to get the data to you so you can make the right decision at the right time. And sometimes when you have a lot of data, it's actually more complex. And you really have to distill it, 
comprehend it, turn that into wisdom. And so what I believe is things like artificial intelligence, um, again, taking a, a massive amount of data and now getting that to be meaningful, actionable, that's how the employees and the front lines can really get the benefit of it. That's how the customers get the benefit of it. We know more about you. <laughs> We're able to deliver things that we think are appropriate for where you are, who you are, uh, where you're located. Um, and again, it's really about customizing and personalizing solutions. And here's Tracy. We're also seeing uh, robot processing automation. So um, to help employees reduce their work time. So maybe with loan applications where it's fairly simplistic. Uh, if if uh, an application falls within proper guidelines, then it can be approved fairly quickly versus having an individual have to review each uh, and each and every loan application. We've also seen some machine learning and predictive analytics, and so it's basically uh, some areas where this is starting to occur is through security trading strategies, again, so using that big data set to try and uh, mimic what has been done historically and see if we can create um, programs to use going forward. Personalization is great. Speeding up processes is also great. But what does this mean for people working on the front lines in the financial services and banking industries? Yeah, if I can use a robo-advisor, do people who work as financial advisors and planners have anything to worry about? Well, there's plenty of uh, tools that exist. There's apps, uh, there's uh, online services. But I would argue that although those are are tools that can be used, I wouldn't suggest that they would be a replacement for the financial planner or the financial advisor. The the big thing is that machines can't identify or help you identify your goals, your objectives. They're not going to understand your dreams, what you're trying to achieve for the the short term or the long term. And so... um, I would argue that those tools are great. They'll likely be used by yourself and the financial planner to augment the experience, but they certainly wouldn't be a replacement uh, for the overall experience. And I say that because uh, it's not just retirement planning or investment planning or tax planning. All of these things work together. So you don't want to make decisions in one area, uh, but not understand the implications that might exist in another area. So um, the person or the individual that you deal with will uh, be able to deal with those uh, more personal uh, type experience, be able to personalize the plan for you, um, and they'll also be able to understand how everything fits together. So the robo-advisor, for instance, um, you'd fill out a questionnaire. You might deal with an individual um, Mm -hmm. in terms of some of the companies that exist today. They do have actual financial advice along with the robo-advice that's provided. Uh, But that advice is, again, more holistic in the sense that it's supposed to provide uh, individual uh, services. Uh, Whereas the actual robo-advisor piece is more doing the day-to-day trading, buying and selling uh, within the parameters that you set. It's going to free up time for advisors to be able to spend more time uh, helping their clients, right? To be able to provide advice, to be able to coach them through different uh, experiences or scenarios that that are occurring in their life at that point in time. So, um, and not everybody's going to want to have their money um, invested through a machine, right? So it's an option that exists. And uh, certainly it will be one that's used uh, by some. And certainly uh, there'll be others who would say, no, I still prefer my advisor to be making those decisions on my behalf because the client 
also want some some clients will also want to say in how their money is is invested, traded. Um, they have their own personal uh, biases or parameters that they um, that they would provide, and so so that. It may or may not in the future be able to put be put into an algorithm, right. um, but for now, uh, those things may also need to be considered. Back in 2016, the Brookfield Institute issued a report called The Talented Mr. Robot. We'll add the link in our show notes. Part of the online version of that report is an interactive data visualization of the risk of automation in various industries. Here are some stats from that Brookfield Institute report. Financial and investment analysts have a low, relatively low probability of automation at 23%. Same goes for financial managers. They've got a pretty low risk of automation as well at 7%. However, financial auditors and accountants have a high probability of automation at 94%. Same goes for accounting and related clerks and accounting technicians and bookkeepers at 98%. Banking, financial, and other financial clerks also are at high risk at 98%. So overall, the Brookfield Institute says 42% of the Canadian workforce is at risk of being affected by automation within the next two decades. Here's Claudette putting this into context for us. So sometimes we think about jobs of going away, but I go back to, you know, the day where you had somebody in the elevator handling, pushing the floor and the switchboard person. And there, there, there's going to always be an evolution of jobs, um, but jobs are created. And and I, I think about even coders today where everyone's like, hey, you know, you got to learn how to code. And the other day I built a website with an AI in three minutes with no coding required. And here's Tracy. Uh, JP Morgan Chase in the U.S. Um, they have a process where they're using machine learning to review loan applications, uh, and it said that the basically it would take 360,000 hours of manpower um, to do the review of these loan applications where a machine could do them in seconds. And so if they are a standard application, they could be approved by the machine. I'm sure there'd be some quality control to ensure that um, the machine is is following the, the correct process. And uh, anything that fell outside of the box could be escalated uh, to in, an individual for further review. But it certainly would reduce the number of hours that we would have people uh, reviewing those applications. Certainly, even just looking at the J.P. Morgan example, if we can do something uh, by machine and eliminate 360,000 hours of manpower, um, obviously jobs are going to be lost. And I, I would view these jobs as more sort of administrative, uh, repetitive process type uh, jobs. But I would I would argue on the other end, as these jobs are being lost, there's going to there's going to be a need for somebody to uh, oversee the technology, to program the technology, to ensure that technology is well maintained. So, uh, although there may be jobs lost uh, in certain areas, I think more jobs will be created, and so it's important that our future students. Um, have a more dynamic background in terms of their education to make sure that they're well prepared to work in all sorts of areas within the financial services industry. 
So um, they're going to be entering the workforce at a time where things are changing. So that's probably going to be their new norm in terms of what they experience. But how are we better preparing our students to be more nimble? Mm-hmm. Um, I would I would argue that the we're we're going through a process of reviewing programs and making sure that we're providing students with the necessary skills to make our programs successful for students. And I would say that we've we've shifted focus even more onto soft skills to ensure that they may have these technology tools that they're going to learn and they're going to use uh, through their, their, their jobs and through uh, their time working. Uh, but how do they deal with the individual? Because our, our roles as financial planners predominantly are our clients, right? How do, we, how do we listen to our clients? How do we speak with our, how our clients? How do we help uh, our clients? And so if uh, the, the students don't have those necessary soft skills, it's very difficult for students to be successful. So I would say in recognition of all the technologies that are coming forth, um, we're not sort of shying away from that, but we're, we're, we want to make sure that students are well prepared to deal uh, with their clients from a personal perspective. It's time to take a look at the future want ads. In this segment of the show, we ask our guests to give us an outline of a job that doesn't exist yet. According to the Institute of the Future, a nonprofit think tank based in Palo Alto, California, 85% of jobs that will exist in 2030 haven't been invented yet. Okay, Tracy Britt, what have you got for us? Financial wellness coach or counselor. That's interesting. What will a financial wellness coach or financial wellness counselor do? So a financial financial wellness coach would take both the financial planning piece, so they would have all the technical knowledge of a financial planner, but they would also combine that with the behavioral finance piece. So um, understanding why people make the decisions they do, um, dealing with any money disorders. Essentially, I think the financial uh, counselor or the financial wellness coach um, would combine both their financial skills and uh, therapy techniques to help help people reach their financial goals um, and to help them at the same time to um, deal with any emotional, psychological, or behavioral hurdles. And I don't have an exact stat, but if you if we were to look at divorce, for an example, and the number one issue that sort of led a couple to divorce, uh, certainly financial um, conflict would be a big component. Might not be the only component, but would certainly be a big component. What skills will be required for this job? So uh, in terms of skill set, there, I think it's all the same skills that a financial planner today would have. So we talked about listening, communication skills, uh, whether they're oral or written, the ability to build trust, those interpersonal skills uh, that we talked about. Um, but I think it's going to, coaching skills are going to need to be involved, therapy skills. So um in terms of understanding of behavioral finance, so the psychology around investing, understanding those money disorders, helping clients change problematic or destructive behaviors, dealing with resistance, that's a huge one, right? Because a lot of people aren't interested in change. That's a wrap on this episode of WorkShift. What did you think? Want to share your thoughts on the future of work and financial services and banking industries? Have you maybe been affected by these technological shifts in your career? We want to hear from you. 
email us at workshift at georgebrown.ca. And be sure to tune into episode four, where we're going to chat with Claudette McGowan again, but this time about how individuals and organizations can embrace rapidly evolving tech trends and how she stays on top of her game. This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at George Brown College. We want to thank Professor Tracy Britt and Claudette McGowan for sharing their thoughts with us today. It's the end of your work shift. See you later. Thank you.